We're going to do that now. We're going to go to the Bible and open up the book of Ecclesiastes. Uh, Just a short section this morning from Ecclesiastes chapter 5. We're going to read the first seven verses of that chapter. Uh, And Roscoe is going to read uh, for us this morning. Ecclesiastes 5, 1-7. Guard your steps when you go to the house of God. Go near to listen rather than to offer the sacrifice of fools who do not know what they do wrong. Do not be quick with your mouth. Do not be hasty in your heart to utter anything before God. God is in heaven and you are on earth. Earth. So let your words be few. A dream comes when they are many cares and many words mark the speech of a fool. When you make a vow to God, do not delay to to fulfil it. He has no pleasure in fools. Fulfil your vow. It is better not to make a vow than to let your mouth lead you into sin, or than to make one and not fulfil it. Do not let your mouth lead you into sin, and do not protest to the temple messenger. My vow was a mistake. Why should God be angry? at what you say and destroy the work of your hands. Much dreaming and many words are meaningless. Therefore, fear God. Thank you, Roscoe. Um, Keep your Bibles open. We're going to study these words. We're going to do that in detail and you'll be served if you can follow along uh, as we do that this morning. Uh, When I was a kid, I I loved dogs. Um, I guess I, I still do love dogs. Um, but, but as a kid, we, we had a dog in our family, and, and she was awesome. Like, she was a bit dumb, um, we can give her that, but she was a good dog. Uh, she was friendly, and she was fun, and she was safe, and, and all the dogs I knew as a kid were like that. They were, they were fun to play with, they were great. And so one day when I was about five, uh, when we went to a garage sale, and there was a dog there, uh, I was excited. You know, another dog to have fun with. Um, it didn't occur to five-year-old me that it was a bit odd that this enormous dog um, was chained to a very big stake with a very thick chain a long way from other people. That didn't strike me as being odd. Uh, And so as with any other dog, I just bowled straight up to it and reached out my hand for a nice little pat and a play uh, and got bit. Uh, Right over the thumb, actually. It was a a pretty good effort. Uh, That was the fastest I've seen my dad move. Uh, See, not every dog can be approached the same, can they? (laughs) And in fact, treating some dogs the wrong way can even be dangerous. So too, not every part of life can be approached the same way. And in fact, approaching some parts of life the wrong way can even be dangerous. Such as approaching God. Now, throughout Ecclesiastes, we've looked at uh, the pursuit of all sorts of different things, you know, chasing gold and chasing fame and chasing glory and all these sorts of things. We've seen the futility in that, but the chasing that still goes on regardless. Well, now the teacher has a warning. He kind of steps back from those, those worldly pursuits and he says, be warned, you can't chase God like you chase those things. You can't chase God like you do the other things of life. Uh, It's an easy trap for us to fall into, isn't it? 
We, we, we spend all our life pursuing and striving and, and searching for things uh, and we could easily go to God in kind of the same way and approach him in the same manner. But the teacher says, don't do that. Because that path, in fact, can be dangerous for us. So how do we go to God then? How, how do we approach this God who might be dangerous to us? What, what are the pitfalls? What are the ways we avoid them? Well, that's what the teacher wants to unpack before us this morning. And that's what we're going to see as we look through these verses. Now, it comes as a bit of a change, doesn't it? Uh, this, this section in the book. It's, it's been so worldly beforehand. You know, it's all about life and riches and investments and time. But all of a sudden, we turn to God. And it, it kind of comes as a bit of an interruption, doesn't it? And yet that's how we would view this, but probably not how the Israelites that the teacher was writing to would see it. See, for them, uh, God was, was not just a religious thing that they did. God was a, a, a cultural thing. It was a, it was a big part of the, their lives, to the, the practices of being a religious Israelite. It was, it was who they were. And so going to his house was just something that you did regularly, not just once a week. But it was something to be done right. Look at verse 1. Guard your steps when you go to the house of God. Go near to listen rather than to offer the sacrifice of fools who do not know that they do wrong. Now, we don't talk about uh, God's house or, or have God's house in, in the same way that the, the people the teacher is writing to did. Um, this, this is not God's house. Uh, this, is, this is just a brick building that was built, I don't know, 40 years ago, however long it was. No, no building is God's house. The Vatican is not God's house. Uh, Mecca, the, the big stone there, that's not God's house. Temple Mount is not God's house. Now we know this because God's told us that. Because he's unfolded his plan uh, furthest than since the teacher taught. And he's showed us something very important in doing that. Um, if we fast forward in our Bibles past the teacher's time, we, we see Jesus come to earth. And in John 4, we see Jesus teaching, uh, speaking with a, whim, a woman at a well about how to worship. Uh, she's asked him, this mountain or that mountain? Which, where should we go to worship God? And Jesus says, neither. This is what he says. God is spirit and his worshippers must worship in spirit and in truth. See, Jesus is saying, neither of those mountains really matter. He's saying there's no place, there's no house that you go to to meet with God in a special way. Instead, what he's doing is he's saying, God is met now in a person. Not in a place, but in a person. In Jesus. And God is met anywhere and anytime. So we have a freedom, we have something that the teacher couldn't have imagined or, or couldn't have known about. And yet that doesn't mean that his words are irrelevant to us because his words still teach us about how we ought to approach God. We can do it anywhere, anytime, but it still tells us how we ought to do that. And he says, do it with caution. Look at verses 2 and 3. Do not be quick with your mouth, do not be hasty in your heart to utter anything before God, God is in heaven, and you are on earth. So let your words be few. 
The dream comes when there are many cares and many words mark the speech of a fool. Remember your place before God. God is in heaven. You are on earth. Don't forget it. Now the teacher's not talking, you know, actual physical location. We know the Bible tells us that God is, is everywhere. What the teacher is talking about is order, is, is station in life. God is higher than you, he's saying. God is bigger than you. So listen to him. Be quiet, be reverent before him. I don't know if you've ever been to the National War Memorial in, um, in Canberra. Uh, it's, it's a fascinating place. Um, lots of interesting things and lots of quite special things. You know, you've got the, the tomb of the unknown soldier. You've got the, the wall of remembrance with all the names of those who died in, in, in battle for Australia. And it doesn't have to be written, you know, anywhere there, how you act in that place, does it? But it's, it's just, it's what you do. There's a gravity to that place. There's a, there's a, a feeling to it. You, you, you can talk, yes, but very softly and you, you whisper and you're very reverent just because of the, the weight of that place. And the teacher says, so too when you come to God. There is, there is a weight here, there is a reverence here. Yes, you can meet with him any time and any place. That's, that's the, the perfect freedom and gift that we have in Jesus but we ought never to do that flippantly. We never you know, swing the pendulum the whole other way and do that really lightly without thinking. He says, so don't come to, to God full of, full of yourself, full of your own words, but come to him listening. Come to him with ears, with grommets in. <laughs> because he's in heaven and you're not. Uh, there's a maze somewhere in Tassie. I think it's the maze in, in Westbury. Um, quite, a, quite a large maze. Um, quite a, you know, it takes a long time to get through. But in the middle of this maze, there's, there's a tower. It's not really big, but you know, it's big enough that when you're in that tower, you can see the whole of the maze. Uh, and you can see you know, your friends and your, or your family you know, getting lost in that maze and stumbling around it. Now imagine, imagine if you're in that maze, you know, you're, you're stuck in there, you're lost, it's, okay, let's make it a really hot day and you're tired and you just don't want to be there anymore. Uh, you're frustrated, but your friend has made it to that tower and they're standing up there and they can see where you are, they can see where you should go. So they, you know, they start to shout out their advice, you know, go left, no, your other left, go that way, go straight, don't go down that one, you know, this way. You know, they, they're in a position to guide you out. It would be really dumb, wouldn't it, if you started to ignore them. And actually, not just ignore them, if you started to say, you know, be quiet, you know, I can see perfectly well where I'm going, I know what I'm doing, I'm really awesome at this, don't tell me what to do. That would be stupid, wouldn't it? That would be really dumb. Well, that's why we listen to God. Because God's in, God's in heaven, not just a tower. <laughs> He can see far more than we can. He can see the whole of our lives, the whole of this world mapped out before him. How stupid it is to go to him speaking. I know what's going on. I, I can handle this, God. This is my problems. You fix it out uh, you know, according to my ways. How stupid. 
to go always speaking, never listening to the one, the only one, who can actually see and help. So let me ask you, how do you go at listening to God? How do you go at being quiet before him? Because he is speaking. He is still speaking. Uh, This is his word. Living and active, it tells us. In it, we hear his voice speaking to you directly if you listen. Your 15 minutes in the morning or the evening or whenever you find it. Are you listening or, or do you find your mind you know, wrestling with the day that's to come <laughs> or, or the news that you've just heard or that, that problem email that you don't really want to write but you know you have to. Or, you know, you pick it up, uh, whether you're by yourself or or even with uh, other people, and and you read it and you think, ah, I've read this bit before. (laughs) I know what it's about. It's hardly listening, isn't it? Or let alone our practices. What about about our attitude when we come to the Word, when we come to, to hear it? You know, whether it be now, this morning, whether it be in your connect, whether it be on your own during the week, do you come to this word thinking God is in heaven and I get to hear from him? I get to listen. See, how easy is it for us to come closed-minded? You know, to think, oh, it's just words, it won't change me, it won't make a difference, it won't speak to me. And so surprisingly, it never does. We never find it challenging us or contradicting us or shaping it because we're never actually allowing ourselves to truly listen to it. And to do the work that God said it would do. How foolish that is. We have a God who has shaped this world lovingly and intricately. We have a God who has shaped your life lovingly and intricately. And who continues to direct every single detail of it. There is nothing in it that escapes his view. And he is speaking to you. Will you have ears to hear his voice? Because his voice is telling you good things. You alone have words of eternal life. That's what Jesus' disciples confessed to him. This is what Jesus himself said. I have come that you may have life and have it to the full. See, these are words worth listening to. This is the way to have real life. Yes, it won't give you direction for every single decision you ever make, but it will give you the right trajectory the right understanding of life and everything you need for salvation and life. Those are words worth listening to. So listen. Do you come to hear or do you simply go through the motions? Come to God in quietness, that is in humility. Because God is in heaven. And yet he's chosen to speak to you here on earth. His life-giving, life-shaping words. So when do you come to listen? Pray. (laughs) Ask him for ears to hear. Ask him for help to listen. For quietness to hear his voice speaking. And practice good listening. Read carefully. 
uh, ask questions of what you read, you know, engage and try to understand. Think about it in, in the context of Jesus. Think about it in context of your own life. And let his words speak and shape you. So come to God, listening. And a very related thing, come to God completely. See, the passage shifts uh, halfway through. It moves uh, from how we hear God to how we act before God. How we, how we conduct ourselves before him. And if anything... There's even more weight and and seriousness in this second half. Look at verse 4 through 7. When you make a vow to God, do not delay to fulfill it. He has no pleasure in fools. Fulfill your vow. It is better not to make a vow than to make one and not fulfill it. Do not let your mouth lead you into sin. And do not protest to the temple messenger, my vow was a mistake. Why should God be angry at what you say and destroy the work of your hands? Much dreaming and many words are meaningless. Therefore, fear God. Now this whole talk of vows um, sounds really foreign to us. It's not something that we do. It's not something we even really talk about doing. Um, but we need to understand what it means. Uh, a, vow, a vow wasn't a compulsory part of Israelite life or Israelite religion. Um, it was something that you could do, but you didn't have to do. Um, It could be a number of things. You could uh, make a commitment and say, I'm going to give this. You know, if if this happens in my life, I'll give this to God. Or you could say, I'm going to set aside myself to do this for God. Um, So like we read of Nazarite vows where they say, I'm not going to drink any alcohol, I'm not going to cut any hair for, for X amount of time. And that's my way of vowing myself to God in this. What it was, whatever it was, whether it was a give or a do sort of thing, it was a pledge made with an oath before God in order to honour God, you know, to to show him as special in your life in a particular way. It was easily done, it was obviously seen, and therefore easily abused. You know, you can imagine, can't you? Uh, I'm I'm gonna set aside this in my life for God, look how great I am, I'm the best follower ever, look what I'm gonna do. Uh, and then I'm not actually going to do it. I'll, something will get in the way. But, but you can see, it, it's so easily done, so easily abused. And the teacher says, be careful. Do you really think you can treat God like that? Do you really think you can make such big claims and then back out of it if it doesn't suit you anymore? That won't end well. Look at his warning. Why should God be angry at what you say and destroy the work of your hands? Don't do it. Instead, he says, fear God. That is, live before him in in reverent awe and honour him. See, to make a vow before God, to commit something to God and then back out of it, that implies something really bad, doesn't it? That's sending a really bad message. Because what it says is, I don't really care about God. Because I've found something better to do with with that time or with that money or with that effort. I've found something that's more important to me, that I value higher than him. I mean, think about your own lives. You know, why is it that we commit to stuff and then change our mind? It's because something better's come along, isn't it? 
something that we see is more important or a higher priority, some, something to our advantage. And so we, we, we change, we go back on our word. Now it's, it's why you know, RSVPing is kind of a dead art. We, we, we just don't do it, or if we do it, we do it at the very last minute possible, just in case <laughs> there's not something better on that day that we would prefer to do instead. Because at the end of the day, in all of that, our care is actually for ourselves, isn't it? You know, we, we want to do what's best for us. We don't want to give that up. Disadvantage ourselves for another's sake? No way. Earlier this week, I was um, driving back from a conference uh, in Hobart. Um, now, in Hobart is our favourite donut shop. You know, these aren't just, you know, Krispy Kremes. This is like, Krispy Kremes is here, this is, this is up here. These, these are good donuts. Now, Melinda had been at home with all three of the kids, so I thought she'd, she'd earn some donuts. You know, that, that's a donut-worthy experience. So before I left, uh, I visited our favourite donut shop, uh, and I bought some, and I even took a photo to, you know, prove it, and to you know, give her something to look forward to. Look what I've done. This is good. And then I set off. Now, if you've done the drive, three and a half hours of driving, with this beautiful box of delicious donuts on the front seat. You can see the problem, can't you? Sitting there on the front seat, and they, you know, donuts stare at you. And their, their, their gaze is weighty. You can feel that. And let alone the smell of them, you know, wafting through the car. Now, imagine, imagine how Melinda would have felt had I arrived at our house, had I brought this lovely box of donuts out, she's opened them up and there's only crumbs and, you know, the little bits of sugar left over. Imagine how she would have felt. Or imagine, you know, I hadn't gone quite that far, but there was a bite, a big bite, because, you know, donuts, a big bite out of every single one. Or, you know, I'd sucked the, the filling out of the stuffed ones. <laughs> because, like, this lemon curd, it is, it is something. It's amazing. I didn't do that, by the way. <laughs> But you know how she would feel, wouldn't you? You know why she would be upset. Because what that message is, you know, the message that's giving to her is, I care more about my taste and my temporary hunger than my commitment to you. That's what it's saying, isn't it? I care about satisfying my desires, not fulfilling my promise to you. Now, we wouldn't treat each other that way. We shouldn't treat each other that way. So how could we do it to God? How dare we do it to God? Because isn't that what we say to him when we fail to give him our all? When we, when we fail to give him 100%, when we, when we fail to follow through on the commitments that we make to him, that's what we're saying, isn't it? We're saying, I care more about myself than you. You're second to me. My commitments to you don't matter. And there's the rub of this passage, isn't it? Because that is what we do. That is us. That's how we live before God. That's how you and I act before him. See, God is in heaven. We are not. We cannot come to him with anything less than 100%. How dare we? How dare we come to him with a commitment that is less than perfect as he is perfect? 
And so we ought to be excluded from coming at all, shouldn't we? Isn't that what it says? You know, uh, it's better not to make a vow than to make one and not fulfil it. On that basis, we should never come to God because we cannot make a vow that is worthy of him. We cannot offer him something that's worthy of him. So how do we come to God? Well, the very good news is we can because while he is perfect in power and holiness, he is also perfect in mercy and goodness. And in that, he has made a way for us to come to him. And that way is his son, Jesus. And that way is open because Jesus did for us what we couldn't do ourselves. Jesus made a perfect vow, a perfect commitment, a perfect sacrifice to God. And he did it for us. This is what it says in Hebrews 10, verse 10. We have been made holy, that is perfect, blameless, spotless, through the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. See, Jesus did something that was beyond us, that we could never have done. He was perfect, unblemished, 100%, and he gave himself utterly to God on our behalf in his death. And in that, the door to God, the ability to come to him before him wherever and whenever is opened. As it said there, once for all. And so that chapter, that chapter goes on, we're going to close with its verses in a moment, that chapter goes on, confidence is the way we, we approach God. Confidence to come near God. In full assurance, we step before Him. How? With a sincere heart, it says. Now, if you have trusted in Jesus, uh, you won't be turned back. Doesn't matter how imperfect you are, doesn't matter how great your failings are, you can come to Him, not on the basis of yourself, you can come to Him on the basis of Jesus and know that you are accepted. You can come and in him have life and hope and eternity, no matter who you are or what you've done. You can come to him, all of us can come to him, as he deserves, with a sincere heart. That is, wholehearted. Not, not holding back, not, not keeping things back, but fully trusting and fully giving ourselves to him. That's how we're invited to come to him. That's really hard. It's, it's really foreign to us to commit to something like that. You know, we, we say to ourselves, don't put all your eggs in one basket. That's, that's quite good life advice, isn't it? You know, don't risk losing them. Don't, don't put them all there just in case something better comes along. But here's the question. What could be better than God? What could be safer than God? You know, he is the best. He is the basket that deserves all of our eggs, as weird as that metaphor sounds. He, he is the most logical, the, the most wonderful commitment we could ever make. So is your money where your mouth is? Both literally and figuratively. 
if you've come to Jesus, that is, trusted him, given your life to him, if you said to him, take my life, are you living it? Are you living up to what you said when you believed in him? Or are you tempted to hold back just in case you know, things get too difficult? Or just in case better comes along? It's so easy, isn't it? It's so tempting just to hold that little bit back, they're, they're, to resist. You know that there's areas in our life that we don't want to touch. Maybe, maybe areas of sin or resistance to God. and We, we don't want to change that because it's just gonna, we know it's going to be costly and, and painful and maybe humiliating. We say, we'll work over here, God. We'll do this stuff. We'll leave that for another day. Or perhaps there's sacrifices that we, we just we don't want to make. You know, I've, I've worked so hard for that. I, you know, I've, I've looked forward to that for, for years perhaps. Do I just need to give it up? How quickly is it that, you know, the God stuff in life drops off because we're too tired or too busy or something better has come along? When you come to Jesus, remember what that commitment is. Remember what he said? Take up your cross and follow me. He is so good to us. I mean, what, what comforts, what luxuries, what, what pleasures we have from him. But remember what they are. Those are his gifts along the way. They are not the way in itself. Good is to come, perfection even. But the path is hard and the sacrifices are many. So don't drop the path for the pleasures. How foolish that would be. Be willing to drop the pleasures to follow on that path. Hold them loosely. You can't keep them anyway. What, what, what vanity, what meaninglessness. Instead, therefore, fear God. Wholeheartedly live for God. Sacrifice for God. Follow where God leads you. Commit or recommit your life to him. He has given his all for your life, for your forgiveness, for your eternity. And he invites, he says, come and follow me. Listen to him because his words are life. Follow him because his way is life. You can't treat him like other things of this world, like things that you can have and discard and treat as you please. He is not like that. He is holy, he is righteous, he is all-powerful God. He is in heaven and you're here. And yet in Jesus you can know him. So listen to him. Follow him. Not half-heartedly but 100%. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we, we thank you that you are, though almighty and all-powerful and, and all-holy and all-righteous, that you are an approachable God. 
You're not distant. You're not removed from us. But in Jesus, the way has been opened to you for sinners, even sinners like us, so that we can know you and have life in you. Father, help us to be glad and thankful daily for that access that we have to you and help us to come before you gladly and seek to live before you well, not treating you or chasing you like the things of this world, but coming to you in humility and reverence and awe. Father, help us to listen to you, to hear your words of life, to submit to them and allow ourselves to be shaped by them. Help us to live before you in fear, putting ourselves to you completely, not holding back, but trusting you and being wholehearted in our following of you. Father, help us in this. We, we can't do it in our own strength. May your spirit teach us and open our eyes and lead us and show us your way. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.